like I don't think it's it's anything to to denigrate or or on, you know on 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 that count. But um, I think it, it bears uh, remembering that you know collectors have agendas and and they're going to push the needle and push certain artists based on the kind of like narrative that they want to push. And and somehow it didn't quite strike me that you know Beeple was an important part of Manikovan's chosen narrative, um, all things considered. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the series that we're doing on the Floyd's Rising NFT Awards. The episode we're doing today is the top favorite artists of uh, the audience that we surveyed. And with us today is a very special guest, Jason Bailey, to come and uh, talk on the show. Jason um, is the uh, founder of Art Gnome. Um, he's also a member of the... Um, Flamingo Dow. Jason, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Jason, um, first tell us, like, you know, how'd you get into NFTs? Yeah, sure. So I'm kind of the one of the gray beards in the space. Uh, I got in in late um, 2017. And it was actually, I had been writing about art technology uh, for a few years at that point. And most of my life uh, was about sort of that intersection. So I went to, to study art for undergrads, sort of traditional studio art, art history. And then for graduate school later, went studied more specifically sort of generative art, digital art. And then uh, had about a 20-year career uh, working for tech startups. So it was sort of and came from a very technical family. So there was always this sort of interest in art and tech. And I had been writing um, actually more about AI and art um, in 2017. And a friend of mine, Ahmed Hosni, said, you should really look at the blockchain. So I spent famously sort of one weekend, uh, one Saturday, really, buying some crypto kitties and some Dada NYC NFTs. I picked up a couple of crypto punks for, you know, t- probably tens of dollars at the time um, and wrote an article called The Blockchain Art Market is Here, which was a pretty bold statement to make after just a couple hours of research, but it pretty quickly became the number one result for anything relating to blockchain and art. This is sort of before we were calling them NFTs. And I woke up the next day and had sort of dozens and dozens of emails to speak all around the world. If you remember late 2017, early 2018 was sort of the absolute peak of the previous bull run, right? So there were lots of, it was sort of that hype point where everybody was trying to figure out as much as they could. And I had to make a decision, you know, do I do I take these opportunities, like, you know, going to London to speak at Christie's about this, um, even though I only had a few hours of research, um, you know, or do I kind of like fess up that I don't really, I'm not really qualified. So I decided to become qualified and went to Rare AF, um, sort of the famous, many people would argue sort of the, the, the birthing event, the seminal event of crypto art in New York, where Dada NYC and CryptoPunks and Rare Pepes and all the folks that kind of like, you know, um, were doing these individual projects that were spread out, really came together and met each other for the first time. So that's where I fell in love with the community and, you know, realized that I could contribute by writing. And I actually had a very early podcast called The Dank Rares. And I also knew, you know, as a failed artist that someone had to throw um, money into the pool to, to actually pick up some of these works back before that was really something, uh, you know, there was maybe, I think you could count them in, in like dozens, low dozens of serious like art NFT collectors in early 2018. So all this work was just kind of sitting there, you know, I'm sure we'll get into, um, you know, X copies work, but as a teaser, you know, I picked up X copies, very first NFTs for a dollar each. Um, and they just sat there, um, unsold, you know, for, for a while, um, actually, and it's hard for people that maybe came in in 2021 or 2020 to realize just how different things were back then. When 2021 came around, people were like, Hey, can you, can you tell me about that thing you've been doing for three or four years? Like that seems really interesting, including, some VCs that wanted me to start a marketplace, but I decided, you know, since most of the marketplaces are run by friends of mine, you know, I was the first collector on Super Rare and friends with Alex from OpenSea. It's just a, a, fa- uh, a function of being into the space really early, good friends with the known origin guys. I didn't really want to compete with them, 
But I saw all these problems. You know, we told people in 2018 and 2017, NFTs are great. They're decentralized. If the marketplace goes out of business, you don't have to worry about it. Um, that's the whole point. And really, it was sort of a naive position on my part. And we saw multiple marketplaces in 2018, including Ascribe, um, Rare Art Labs, additional digital objects, really almost half of the ones that existed back then went under. And when they did, um, it became very hard for us to access our, our NFTs or we could access the NFTs and they pointed to broken images. So I ended up um, uh, taking investment and building out an amazing team um, to actually solve some of those infrastructure problems. So collectors don't have to go through what I went through in 2018 and watch you know all their NFTs break or, or disappear. And uh, we offer a tools that allows everybody to download all their off-chain NFT assets for free and a lot of education. That's all at um, clubnft.com. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Let's kind of get into the, the countdown thing in terms of the voting um, because the, you know, the favorite NFT artist voting um, was by far the flattest, meaning, you know, the top vote getters had less votes than all, than other categories like PFP, generative artists, metaverse, um, which basically means that there was much less consensus <laughs> amongst the, the voting population as to as to who their favorite artists were than sort of other categories. The fourth place artist uh, is uh, Kath Simard. For folks that may not know Kath, uh, she's a French-Canadian um, landscape slash composite photographer. So uh, I believe she started in photography in 2016 and goes off on these sort of wild adventures way off into you know the woods or the mountains and takes these you know um, really epic, amazing um, photos of sort of stars and mountains and a natural landscape and then composites them together um, into almost sort of a surreal, you know, um, landscapes that, that at first they read as entirely real, but then you can, you know, if you look closely, you get a sense that there's something sort of otherworldly um, about them. I think, you know, for me, um, and this is something that I'll probably bring up, you know, almost with each of these artists, one of the things you see in NFTs and art in general that folks don't talk about is, like, you know, landscape photography, like stunning landscape photography, it's clear to me why that would be popular. But I think the artist's personas or personalities are, are maybe just as important um, for why, you know, these artists have become so popular, right? This idea of a, um, a young woman sort of traveling fearlessly around the world, like who wouldn't look up to that and want to be that, right? Um, you know, I think there's this you know, in NFTs, it's, it's not so much just that the art stands alone, although her work certainly could, but there's also a sense that you can follow along um, with the artist, sort of look up to the artist, or at least admire them for sort of their principles and their approach. So I think that's, you know, part of, part of maybe what's going on here, in addition to the art being great, I guess in terms of art historical context, for me, it's interesting. I actually don't think back to photographers um, as much like, say, Ansel Adams, that might be like a more obvious comparison. I think more of like the Hudson River Valley painters who have sort of those really transcendent um, paintings, you know, that where they're really going after the idea of the, the sublime, right? That really uh, takes us to almost a spiritual kind of place. And I think she really kind of hits hits on that um, in her work. And also, I think with the painters, you know, they're they're able to take maybe more artistic liberty than traditional photographers. And I think, you know, with her, her compositing process, maybe it pulls her a little bit more in that direction. I wanted to just point out a, a more kind of like stylistic or formal um, aspect of the work. So you, you mentioned that, you know, you don't really see it tying back to photography, uh, photography per se. I guess that's a function of the fact that um, for Kath, it seems like that's just one of the pieces that she plays with. And so a, as a medium, I think it doesn't really... Um, you know, merit a discussion about the, you know, what are the elements that are photographic or uh, photography as a medium? Because it's it's been digitally manipulated to a point where, you know, the, the source material is really quite, I mean, I wouldn't say it's incidental, but I think that playing with the landscape genre is, is just one of the things that she does. And then, of course, um, you know, she has this, <clears throat> I, as I understand it, she has this um, machine learning um, GAN mechanism that she uses as well. So there is that kind of like um, very, you know, modern or, you know, of our age kind of approach to it. 
um, with with, uh, with, uh, with the generative aspect. Um, and then there's the landscape tradition, and and as you mentioned, the Hudson River Valley painting tradition. So there's a, there's a number of things that I think come together um, in her work. I'm reminded of the the kind of essay that you had on your website, Jason, where you talked about um, you know the aesthetics of crypto art, right? And one of the things that I think you did was to look at the tags that, um, you know, basically it's a very kind of simple exercise where you look at the kinds of genres or adjectives that are applied to uh, the top NFTs, you know, that are, that, are, uh, that change hands on, on the major platforms, right? And so one of the themes that are, some, some of the themes that come up very often in the top uh, NFTs are things like abstract, surreal, you know, things like that. Sci-fi, I think is another one. Um, and so, you know, like sci-fi and surreal, I, I guess, you know, justifiably could be applied to uh, the work of someone like Kath. And so I'm wondering if that is something that you're very aware of in, in the sense that, you know, that there's a lot that NFT art or crypto art refers to um, both from a formal kind of stylistic perspective as well as like an aesthetic one. Um, and what do you make of the fact that, you know, coming in pretty strong at number four is uh, an artist that, you know, works in a pretty figurative um, idiom, even though, of course, you know, the imagery has been has been manipulated very extensively, um, as opposed to a more kind of like generative, so-called purely on-chain uh, medium native work. Do you think that, um, you know, artists that, work in a more figurative style um, are somehow less uh, vital? Yeah, I think it's interesting if you go back to the origins of um, crypto art, so like 2000, well, actually it goes well back before 2017, but let's say 2017, 2018, a lot, you have to go back to who's actually um, collecting at that time. And it's largely back then, um, the folks that actually understood the blockchain well enough to have any desire to collect these things really came from crypto backgrounds. So it wasn't so much that there was this giant swarm of traditional art collectors that were swooping in in 2017, 2018. It was actually folks whose expertise were sort of largely around tech um, and, and cryptocurrencies and things like that. And I think for folks that don't necessarily have a traditional background or training in, um, in, in art and in art history, a lot of times work that is uh, more figurative or representational is just more approachable. Um, so I'm actually not, you know, we did see this change a little bit as, um, as 2021 hits and we see art blocks and generative art become more popular, which surprised me. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, generative art sort of my, my specialty for the last 20, 25 years. Um, and I never thought we would see mainstream interest and adoption there. I was, however, not surprised that, you know, the bulk of new collectors, and I think what's cool about NFTs is most of these folks are new collectors. The bulk of new collectors find it a little bit of an easier on-ramp to find works that are uh, realistic, representative, figurative, right? Because when you don't know a ton about art, I think you, you default to heuristics. And one of the heuristics that, that new art collectors ask themselves is, could I make that right? Like, could I, and if there's a lot of detail, um, or it looks like it took a lot of time, or there's some mystery, or there's some tech skill there, and then the other is, you know, can can I relate to it? And a lot of times, more abstract work really is a dialogue with previous art history, and if you don't have that art history, more figurative kind of work probably it resonates a little bit more with your own background as a new collector. For me, the, the more abstract work, um, which you say, you know, ties back to traditional art history. I think those things are, as you say, like for folks who are not familiar with that, those cues or references are not as legible, but it seems like it could work both ways because that could be, um, that could be an entry point for people that, you know, because it's, it's supposedly um, more crypto native, however you want to define that, like in, in terms of medium. And so um, whereas figurative and representational work also has you know a very long history of of references. Um, I think arguably some of which, or or maybe the majority of which, doesn't really dialogue with, um, as you mentioned, like you know Kath's work. Um, you could kind of like compare it to all the photography that's that that's that precedes it, but that you know in, in a certain sense, you, you according to you, um, that the the kind of 
better analog is is this painting tradition from the Hudson River Valley painters. So I, I think it works both ways. I'm not sure. It seems like there's so many entry points for for people who uh, do have that art background and those and those who don't. Um, but it it sometimes strikes me. I mean, I think maybe we'll talk about this a bit later with the other three artists in the countdown. But um, in, in Kath's uh, in, in Kath's case, I think um, th there's a lot there that you know one could possibly cite as a as a reference or a precedent, um, even though it's representational or maybe because it's representational. Um, yeah, I, I I found it quite hard to to really think about how to discuss this countdown because I think there's so many um you know apart from I think quite unlike the other categories we have like the PFPs and metaverses um favorite artist or best artist there, there's so many you know possible um lineages and, and vectors that we could consider possibly so that's just my little kind of like slightly baffled <laughs> response to uh to what you've had to say about Kath so I see her as a representation in terms of, you know, how collectors in sort of NFTs slash crypto art <clears throat> think about, uh, you know, what's what's worth collecting essentially, um, because, you know, Kath, unlike you know some of the other artists we're going to talk about coming up, you know, the, the categories that the, that she fits into are not <clears throat> things that are, you know, super different than. Uh, you know, traditional art. So meaning she's a photographer, you know, photography has been sort of collecting traditional art for a while. Um, she's again artist, which is also sort of in traditional art. Um, <clears throat> she makes full years of social media, et cetera. So <clears throat> it's not like, you know, some uh, so artists where, for example, the categories, you know, are only in um, uh, sort of crypto art, but the way I guess, you know, she does photography, the subject matter, <clears throat> the way she uses GANs, like these things, the way, you know, she represents them is basically valuable and, and sought after in the NFT collecting world, but definitely not in the same way in the traditional collecting world. So it's like a very good contrast in terms of how collectors view, I guess, even the same categories as opposed to, you know, between traditional art collectors versus of NFT collectors. And I thought that's, you know, pretty evident in terms of, you know, Kath being on this list, uh, you know, and, and then the categories that, that, that she kind of plays in. Third place artist um, on this list. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of alluded to Kath sort of, you know, being in categories that, that are also kind of present in, in the traditional world. Well, Def Beef uh, is in a category that's kind of only possible. Um, uh, in the in the crypto art world, I'm probably most surprised that Def Beef made this list, um, and you know it's probably the artist that resonates maybe the most for me, right? So I'm particularly interested in generative art um, and really techie um, kind of art. So Def Beef is an artist that um, uses sort of a, a, a based basic pared down approach of sort of a text editor and a C compiler. And it's really looking at things almost from like first principles, like really paring things down and, and starting almost from scratch um, and creating not, you know, part, part of the reason for that is because he's creating work that he's trying to put um, wholly on chain. So for folks that don't know, um, you know, roughly 10% of, of NFTs are fully on chain or at least Ethereum ones. So it's really not that many. It's very expensive to store large files on chain. So with this sort of um, restriction, you know, comes creativity, right? Um, and that uh, he has to be really thoughtful about how he creates these works in order to put them on chain. Uh, it's both uh, visual and audio. So he's got, you know, classical uh, piano and his sort of his background as well as engineering. Um, and yeah, I think also one of the things maybe that, that I like about Deaf Beef Having been in this space for so long, um, you know, I watched a lot of people come in in 2021, which I think Def Beef was sort of class of 2021, who were like, oh, I'm doing a thing. How can I hop on this gravy train to make some, some money? But they never really necessarily got into the culture. But I think Def Beef, you know, understood the culture and, and uh, sort of speaks to the culture of NFTs um, in his work. Right. So, um and I think about like his work first, right? Which is like the, the record album that um, sort of makes, it's got these generative prompts that talks about, um, he describes it as the, 
the first on-chain generative text NFT about NFT firsts, right? So anyone who's been in this space for more than a week or two, you know, you see like almost nonstop in the press and on Twitter, people saying like, I'm the first, this kind of NFT, the first, you know, the first NFT, you know, made out of bread, you know, stored on, you know, like in two separate towns, like just random crap that nobody really, really cares about. Right. So this sense of humor and irony and an ability to laugh at, you know, uh, at the whole space sort of, but in a playful way, um, the, the fact that it's, you know, really native to the blockchain and he's using that as sort of a creative constraint. And then um, just purely my passion, you know, being around generative art um, makes Stephanie really stand out, um, I think, among the three. Maybe less, you know, I would say, I would argue, and I'd be curious if you guys want to argue back, but I would argue he's maybe the least accessible in a way. Like Kath Samard, you wouldn't have to know any of her process or background, and, you know, you could appreciate the sort of the beautiful landscape. But I think you maybe need a little more context with Def Beef to fully appreciate the work that he's doing. I'm also somewhat surprised um, with with his third place, um, primarily because I think that there are some other artists that you know have engaged with with the blockchain, the technology itself, uh, the kind of like formal parameters, in a way as as Jason has said, like that's possibly more accessible because this is rather abstract in, in a very strict sense. So we have like someone like say Rhea Myers, right? So so she's made a lot of work that uh, does address certain uh, parameters of the blockchain very directly. Like she put her she put her ID on the blockchain um, and, and things like that. So it, it's a very, it demonstrates certain first principles, but in a way that when you see it and then, you know, assuming there's kind of a gloss or a wall text, so to speak, um, it, it, it's a kind of work that would be, you know, kind of like, ah, like people will get it because it's it's kind of a, a, a self demonstration of its own kind of concept. Um, whereas looking at a deaf piece, a uh, deaf sorry deaf piece, looking at a deaf deaf beef work, um, I think you know you, you would have to understand, for example, the constraints that come with uh, having to fit all that data on 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 chain and things like that. Um, and and so it does take a certain. Um, I guess level of familiarity, and, and and just based on that, I think it it's, it seems somewhat surprising that um, that he would come in at this at this point in, in the ranking, bearing in mind the other artists that were voted um, for second and and fourth. So yeah, I, I think it's 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 something that again to bear in mind um, maybe when we talk about what kind of work um is is the most vital is the most historically art historically potentially significant in the future looking back like are, are we going to say that you know this approach that that thief has taken um is is engaging with the technology and and with the kind of context in the most um significant or you know kind of intelligent way or are there different ways uh, to do that that potentially are, are going to be more, you know, we're going to look back and, and say that, ah, that that was, uh, you know, somehow more art historically significant or, or, or something like that. So I, I think it's an interesting thing to, to look at in comparison to other artists that have um, engaged with this, uh, whether it's generative or on-chain media native kind of approach. I'm not that surprised that Death Beach is on because, uh, because the voting was so kind of spread out. I mean, <laughs> there are people, you know, that really that really like him. So it only takes, you know, a couple of people who really like someone to kind of move the needle because, you know, the the there there is very little consensus, I guess, in in this category. Um, I'll say, like, having been, you know, having paid attention to especially the, you know, when he first. When, when sort of Def Beef first came to prominence, which is, I think, the early part of sort of 2021, you know, that was when generative art, you know, when art blocks was kind of sort of emerging as kind of the juggernaut that it is today. And there was this hunger, I guess, um, for just just all these kind of firsts, right? I, th I think in the early part of 2021, um, the, you know, after, after sort of art blocks came out and it was kind of, generative art wasn't like super big but it was it was becoming big there, there was really was this hunger amongst 
you know, people in the generative art sort of collecting community and also arts community to, to sort of see like, what can we do first, right? And because, you know, there the, the, the was and there still is this, this uh, movement to, to, to really try to, you know, be first in this category or that category. And, and you know, one of the big categories was, was sound, right? Sort of, um, you know, sound uh, NFTs. And even though I don't think that definitely was kind of the first sound um, NFT or even this first, I guess, sound generative uh, NFT, they, they really kind of captured the, 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 the zeitgeist at that particular sort of point in time because they just really, really appealed, you know, to, to, the, to the crypto aesthetic, to the crypto culture, um, you know, even I guess the, 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 the kind of sounds that came out of the NFTs, the, the, the visuals that came out of it, it kind of really, really resonated um, with at that point in time, a very kind of niche um, collector community. Um, sound NFTs is always <laughs> pretty interesting uh, to me. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what, what how you guys kind of view the progression of sound NFTs because it it really seems like, uh, I mean, I'm not talking about just deaf beef, but just in terms of like sound and I'll, I'll put slash music NFTs in general, like it, it people always expect it to be kind of be a much bigger category than it ends up being, I, I guess, right now. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like I know deaf beef is pretty, pretty big right now. I'm not, I'm not really sure if like in the future, whether uh i guess you know just even this whole category will be viewed the same way as it is now or even whether deaf beef will will be i guess at the top of this um you know going to the future i think part of what deaf beef has is two strong camps that are out there that are looking for an artist like deaf beef so there's this subgroup within nft collectors um sort of on-chain gang right like folks that are sort of religious about only collecting um artworks that are on chain um and depending who else was sort of on the list sort of folks were just picking artists um you know off the top of their head i could see people from that particular subgroup um gravitating to toward deaf beef as a representative of their very specific you know type of nft on-chain only that they collect and the other one that's sort of interesting um, you know, I sort of have a background in the traditional art world and a traditional art world has pretty much been saying from, you know, the folks from the traditional art world that I talked to have pretty much been saying the only interesting NFTs are the ones that use the blockchain as some, in some way as part of the medium, right? So I get a lot of pushback. I disagree with this, by the way. I get a lot of pushback about people saying, you know, all the other ones are just hanging JPEGs on the blockchain, which technically they're not, not even on the blockchain. They're just being pointed to. And that, for some reason, has been a turnoff um, and, and seen as commercial to most of my traditional art world friends, whereas they, they are much more excited about, like you mentioned, uh, Raya Myers or Def Beef. He gets, you know, these articles in, in sort of the more traditional art magazines, um, you know, Sarah Mayojas, uh, folks like that that are like, you know, really exploring the blockchain itself. Um, so, so the reason I bring it up um, is, you know, I think um, Kaizu said that, uh, you know, which which of these works will be remembered or sort of have longevity. And I think that's a different question from asking collectors today, who's your favorite artist? Um, you know, which ones will be around for a long time will probably be the artists that gain support, unfortunately, largely from the existing institutions. Um, you know, at least that's the way it's been traditionally. And I think there's signs that, that Def Beef, because he's using the blockchain as part of his, his actual materials um, when he's thinking about what he's making, he really does seem to have won over a lot of folks that come from the traditional art world that have a bias against um, NFTs that really only use it to point to, to images, in my experience. We've got to drill down this point because I think this is this is probably one of the key <laughs> key things underlying sort of NFTs. Because um, because you know your, your point that everyone essentially is kind of looking for what's medium native, right? And especially kind of traditional uh, sort of art institutions, they, they really want to see okay, so what's what's worthwhile on the blockchains is kind of what's medium native. You, you said you kind of disagree with that. Can can you I guess elaborate a, a bit of you mean like you disagree with this kind of sort of overall obsession with what's medium native to the detriment of everything else? My argument is that a lot of people are missing um, what actually is amazing about the NFT revolution that we're going through. Um, you know, we've had some great 
um, you know, technologist, you know, style artists with classical training that have been working with uh, the blockchain going back to like, you know, 2014, some of those folks that we've, you know, we both mentioned. I don't think you're doing a podcast. I'm starting a company. People are all over Twitter talking about those half dozen artists that maybe are trained in traditional art and, and operating in the vein of sort of conceptual art, making, you know, the, the Kevin McCoys and things like that. That work didn't get sort of global attention, um, you know, it, and there's a long history of artists making, I love that work, you know, there's a long history of artists using technology to make interesting work, but that's not something that becomes a global phenomenon that everyone obsesses over. The thing that made this, you know, uh, so relevant that we're all talking about it every day, um, and it's now something that, you know, lots and lots of people are involved with, is that it, it really did, to some degree, democratize who gets to make art and, and ways of selling art and who feels comfortable collecting art, right? So my argument is that we probably have more art um, art collectors today than we've ever had in history, and maybe more artists selling work than we've ever had in history. And I think to write off, it's very um, almost like highbrow or elitist to write off the, the bulk of the NFTs that have been created by saying, oh, well, they, they're not even aware of how to manipulate the blockchain. To me, it's the social revolution um, that resulted from NFTs that's far more interesting and will be the legacy of NFTs rather than a half dozen folks that did some nuanced work with a new technology, if that makes sense. We've seen this in, in the kind of Biennale circuit in the traditional, what we call a contemporary art world, since at least the 90s where, you know, I'm not sure who Jason was talking to in, in that world, but these people who, you know, are so obsessed about medium related, like very formalistic parameters, right? Um, in, in the contemporary world, that there, there's a very small camp of, of people that that also cling to that in, in terms of like, well, are, are the artists that are, that are deserving of acclaim um, working in media or, or, you know, addressing themes that are very much of the zeitgeist? Whereas actually, you know, it, it, in, in all these um, international art events, we see that um, there's been a gradual expansion of the, the playing field, like the, the doors have opened, um, the, the artists from countries that didn't used to be able to, to sit at the same table, basically, uh, were suddenly admitted. We had this rash of Asian artists from China, India, and all the rest of it um, over the last now 30 years now. Um, and, and, and these are artists that I think as a parallel to what Jason said, they weren't necessarily the most innovative from a purely, uh, if you just look at the work per se, but the fact that they came from a different demographic that that was previously marginalized and didn't have a voice at all. That that was like that that has been actually a very uh, strong narrative in, in the contemporary art world. And I think that what we're we're talking about is that you know we're we're seeing a similar dynamic play out um, in in the NFT art world because of this access, the question of access and, and broadening and democratization. So I think that that's something that um, we we need to always have top of mind. And and obviously there are many ways in which I think um, NFT crypto art can be kind of vital and and significant. And and the formal parameters are just one kind of metric. Uh, by which we can measure the number two artist and the number one artist actually received the, the same number of uh, vo- uh, points um, in terms of the voting. Uh, and the way they were separated, we actually did it in terms of like the most sort of number of mentions of this person sort of one. So, uh, you know, number two was Beeple, um, received uh, more first place votes than the number one, but um, received kind of less overall. Um, number of votes. I'm surprised that people wasn't number one. Um, just purely as a function of the amount of press um, that has been out there. Again, I think we need to be clear. You know, and then correct me if I'm wrong on on how your um, your voting works. But mm-hmm. this quite literally is sort of a popularity contest, right? Um, it's not. It's not like which artist is going to you know be historically relevant for the longest or things like that. And just again, purely as a function of the amount of attention and press that people name recognition that people has it does sort of blow my mind that he um isn't number one i actually you know i i enjoy people's work i mean i don't collect it and it's not it doesn't fall sort of within the genres that, that i traditionally collect um i do have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with uh, sort of the famous sale the 70 million dollar sale in that you know me and my altruistic buddies that thought we were slowly building a brand new art world that wasn't going to be about money and old auction houses and, and whatnot. Um, when that sale hit, that was when everything kind of changed, right? And on the one hand, it brought lots and lots and lots of attention 
to NFTs and a number of artists that could participate, a number of collectors sort of exploded, right? But on the other hand, the idea that this was going to be different and maybe not as much about money, um, it was hard to say that anymore. And this was really the entry point for almost everyone I know into NFTs. So they would come to me and say, oh, that NFT thing you've been doing for four years, that's about like this guy that sold a work for $70 million at, at you know Christie's or whatever, right? And I'm like, no, that's actually, we've been kind of fighting to do the opposite of that for, for three years, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of changed. So I do think he's actually the, the absolute right person to have sort of to, to be the poster child for sort of the coming out party of NFTs, because you cannot ignore the work, right? It's just, you know, it's sort of in your face and over the top and really like, you know, demands attention. Um, and I'm, I'm generally a fan of, of the work and of people and that, you know, how can you not be a fan of someone that's put in as much work as this guy has, right? And it's great to see that NFTs op- opens up an opportunity for, for him to sort of get some recognition. I guess for me, um, you know, a couple things. I see him, it's interesting that we're talking about him after Def Beef. So I see people as almost the opposite, right? Like Def Beef really, really pared down to like the most basic elements, almost like minimalist. And Beeple is almost like Baroque for me, right? There's like, you know, lots and lots of, of detail and elements and, and layering um, of, of ideas, and themes, you know, everything, including the kitchen sink is kind of in there. Um, so there's sort of a nice contrast there. And then the other, you know, reference that sort of for me is sort of this like, almost like political satire or political cartoons is, is sort of, I mean, of course, there's like surrealism and things like that you could get into. But I, I think about like even folks, again, I'm throwing out all these first Hudson River Valley. Now I'm going to throw a Dom Air. But I think people, you know, are quick to think that all these these styles of art or artists don't have necessarily have that historical lineage. But there have been artists that take sort of famous folks and um, lampoon them, um, you know, for, for a long time. And I think that sort of serves a purpose and brings a broad level of appeal. These idea that these large, you know, epic figures um, can be brought down to our level. Uh, I think that's par- probably for me, part of what the, the work is about. It's a kind of popularity contest. And so on that measure alone, I think people does deserve to be number one, if not, and, and actually he's, he's tied with, uh, with the other artists that we have. Um, but I, I do have to say, like, it does seem to have reinforced um, certain, you know, kind of fixed ideas about what NFT art is in the mind of the public, because sure, it's it's 5,000 images created over like, I think it was 12, 13 years. Um, it, it's, it's this kind of like Baroque, like tapestry of, you know, digital art and images. Um, but as, as you point out, like, it's, it's the exact antithesis to, to Deaf Beef and the kind of more minimal work uh, by Park, for example, where it, it does, you know, beg the question of like, well, does, you know, wh- wh- which is the more um, kind of like more interesting or, or significant work that's being done uh, on this medium on, on the blockchain? And um, it seems that, you know, it's gonna. Beeple has made it quite hard, I think, for the layman or the, the general public to understand something like Deaf Beef. Because if you put them side by side, I think most people would be totally like baffled, right? Because um, what? Why is it? What? There's this huge kind of disjunct between the style, first of all, and and the kind of approach and the thematic and, and stuff like that, and the fact that people. Well, you know, it's such a it's such an overwrought like Baroque kind of piece that, um, you know, that that's gotta like say something for like what we're what's gonna go down um, in terms of like the general perception of what NFTR is. And I think that I think it is what it is. I I just think that it's potentially unhelpful in the longer run um, in terms of getting artists like Death Beef or any of the other more. Uh, on-chain medium native artists, um, you know, the, the recognition that they deserve. And I think on that count, it seems like it could potentially be a bit obstructive um, in my view. So that's not to say that he doesn't deserve uh, the the popularity and, and the press that he's gotten. But I think that for me, it introduces a very like thorn, thorny issue about um, what, what, you know, the public is is going to think of when, when we talk about NFT and, and crypto art. The situation where Beeple is, I mean, either the most well-known, definitely the most famous sort of NFT artist. And I think that that singular event, that $70 million sale, it will take, a, you know, a big 
thing to sort of disassociate that as the sort of defining uh, image of people. And also it'll take a big thing to, to disassociate that as a defining image of the, of the collector of people medical and who we, we had on the show and we actually talked to him extensively about this. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you know, talking to actually medical event and, and just even looking at the, the series of events that, that, you know, that led up to the, to that $70 million. So I can't help but feel that, you know, that kind of changed the trajectory of not only NFTs, but also Beeple's career kind of forever. Because I could see a parallel universe where very easily Beeple, you know, is not known as the top NFT artist, right? I could easily, and, and, and it it's not, you know, it's not a, it, it doesn't take a lot of sort of imagination to imagine that. Because if, you know, uh, if, if Medikovin sort of just, came about, you know, two months earlier or came, came to, you know, came to collect NFTs two months later and picked like someone else. Cause you know, for people who don't know, um, the $70 million sale was the culmination of, of Medikovan's sort of initial push into NFTs, right? He, he set up this structure called B20 and, um, he, he's kind of selected people, um, as the person that he wants to collect. So even before the $70 million sale, he, uh, I think he uh, he bought like 20 out of 21 one of ones um, in, <laughs> in in a series of very very uh, I guess intricate strategic moves um, for that and you know I could easily see uh, you know <laughs> this happening to someone else or, or whatever it is but you know it just shows that you know history is kind of path dependent and you know these series of things <laughs> happening to him has kind of has has really pushed people to to a place where basically he's sitting on the throne as as kind of the king of nfts and um and and i don't see him getting dethroned from that but you know i i, I don't want to say it's kind of luck but it it is a series of very fortuitous events that sort of place him um on there uh and you know it, I mean, maybe this is characteristic of, of all sort of art world, right? Like everyone is kind of there, um, you know, based on a series kind of fortuitous events. But uh, I mean, people, I, I, I could actually see <laughs> what those events were. So, you know, that's kind of the collector in me just really, you know, conducting thought experiments about it. I think also because we, we spoke to Medikovin only very recently and um I'm not sure if he's already made this announcement, but he's he's working with Oliver Eliasson, the, the Danish Icelandic artist, who's a big, big deal in the traditional like contemporary art world and whose work could not arguably be further in essence and 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 theme from from people because it's extremely so Eliasson for for audiences who, who don't know um works with things like light and space. So very kind of like immaterial uh, phenomena. He, he's very interested in phenomenology and, and things like that. So very abstract and philosophical issues. Um, he creates environments, installations, things like that. And and I feel that, I mean, I, I think we didn't really get this from Medikovin himself, but I feel like in the year plus since uh, the sale, he has had to kind of reconsider what he stands for. And actually he's talked also about like, you know, supporting um, artists from India where he's from originally. And it always struck me that the Beeple thing didn't quite kind of jive with the rest of the narrative that he was, you know, professing, right? Because he's all about, from, from the perspective of, of a sociological, uh, you know, in, in terms of his, his collecting and things like that, his stance is like, well, now this is the chance for the so-called um, third world or, or whatever non-West to assert their dominance on the global stage, having this influence as collectors and things like that, and, and you know, moving the needle uh, on, on culture. Um, and so, you know, him supporting Indian artists that otherwise would not have had, had access, that, that speaks to that. Um, working with a top kind of like, you know, European um, contemporary art circuit artist um, that works with extremely abstract themes speaks to that. But somehow people, I'm, I'm not sure if he, it seems like he's moved on, right, in a sense. And I think that, you know, what, what he did was obviously the first gesture, the first entry point. Um, but I suspect that moving on, and obviously Medikovin has, has a lot in the pipeline, I'm sure, um, is going to deviate, as, as you said, 
they retreat from this fortuitous kind of like you know he 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 threw up this artist as like the king of nfts but it seems like you know he he's gonna have a different tack and and it is what it is again like i don't think it's it's anything to to denigrate or or on you know on on, on that count but um i think it, it bears uh remembering that you know collectors have agendas and and they're going to push the needle and push certain artists based on the kind of like narrative that they want to push and and somehow it didn't quite strike me that you know Beeple was an important part of Medikovin's chosen narrative um all things considered yeah i think it's just important that we you know philosophically that we look at this and we say okay if if Medikovin buys any of the other artists on this list or, or many that aren't on this list for 70 million dollars you know, they become um, super, you know, popular and famous because people are fascinated with things that sell for lots of money and they get all the press instead. Um, but people without Medicovin, does he ever ascend to this position? Probably not. It would be my, my guess. Right. So that makes I, I think we have to pause and ask ourselves, like, you know, is that the system that we want where it's so obvious that um, the money is what drives recognition and, and popularity? versus perhaps the, the work itself. And I think that's certainly not new um, from the old art world. I mean, I won't name the, the families by name, but there's one or two families that own some absurdly high percentage of all Andy Warhol's work, right? And they're very careful to make sure that it doesn't fall below a, a certain point. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we hoped would happen with NFTs is we would get a little bit further from that. But um, I think that's maybe where you start to, to just acknowledge as a serious collector that, the difference between a very popular artist and an, an artist that you personally like a lot, you know, um, those are two different things a lot of the time, right? And, it, and it's okay. You can't let it drive you crazy. Not that people doesn't deserve attention and recognition, but like your, your horse isn't always going to win the race um, in terms of popularity. Um, the artists that you like most, you know, whether or not they're really good or interesting to you probably doesn't really correlate too much to how popular they are. I think that's something that a lot of collectors figure out early on. Let's so then now the the, the number one vote getter, the number one on our list artist, uh, most forgetting the favorite NFT artist category is X copy. Yeah, so I love X. Um, I you know, I, I it's funny because we kind of you know grew up together in the space, right? So again, for folks that don't know, I picked up the first few X copy artworks on a tweet. He was using a scribe. It was back when everything was like super experimental. He's like, I don't know. I found this platform. I'm going to give it a shot. And I'm like, well, I'll send a dollar over, you know, cause like, why not? Like, you know, it could be, could be neat. And it's, you know, still not really clear whether or not the, the token actually even got minted. Um, I think the scribe might've already been shutting down at that point. But um, I, I think with X copy, what you see, and I talked a little bit about it back when we were talking about Kath, um, I think about how, those early collectors, and I think folks struggle with this because they, they, if they weren't participating in 2017 and 2018, early collectors really were kind of diehard crypto folks, right? There's no reason so many of the people that collected in 2021, you know, saw something on Saturday Night Live or Ellen or whatever and came swooping in and wanted to, to collect. But the only real collectors were pretty diehard blockchain folks. And I think the reason XCopy experiences early success is because he's kind of tailor-made for that audience, right? A lot of his work is about sort of distrusting, you know, authority. And it's got sort of this like street art angle and like, you know, uh, sort of talks about like dystopia. And a lot of those sort of themes very, very much overlap with the uh, sort of the crypto libertarian, um, you know, aesthetic or, or thoughts. Um, and I think that's partially why, you, you know, that audience, you know, is, is very excited um, about that work pretty much right, right away, you know, relative to the other work that was um, that was out there. So um, then the other thing, and again, it's I, I think personality um, and, and sort of non art related things, qualities about the artist are just as important to popularity and success in this space. And X just has a wicked sense of humor. Right. So he has this combination of like. Um, you know, mystery because he's sort of anonymous, which again, dovetails super well with sort of the, the crypto ideology. Um, but then he also has a sense of humility, which is kind of important when you're an anti-establishment artist and you have anti-establishment collectors, and now you're making millions and millions of dollars. How do you sustain your image as an anti-establishment artist? You have to have quite a bit of humility and, and, and openness and sense of humor. And I think X manages to do that. So, and, and I think maybe a bit like 
um, you know, like calf, but you know, it's a strange comparison to make and that he, the, the work is sort of accessible on different levels. It's fun, right? Even though it's about like death and dystopia and things like that, it's sort of bright and fun and you can, you can experience it on, um, sort of an easy, you know, punchy punk, you know, street art kind of, um, glitch level. Um, but I think there's probably another level around sort of political and, you know, dystopia and, and stuff like that. So, um, really the perfect artist for, for the early stages um, of NFTs as they start to take off, in my opinion. I like to think of it um, in terms of an analogy uh, with the contemporary art world, which I'm more familiar with. Um, and I think it's true to say, you know, th there've been a number of, for example, like documentaries and stuff where, you know, now, now that the contemporary art world is such a global phenomenon, a lot of people will say, ah, you know, but, you know, in, in those days, there were like only a handful of galleries, like there were like, Art Basel was started by three dealers and it was a tiny event and things like that. And I think people like to go back to that kind of genesis moment um, as, as we should. I think historically it's important to think about, you know, the origins and, and why certain artists that we consider canonical or important today, um, many times like they, it was, you know, either their style or the collectors that they had and the supporters um, from, from the get-go were very sympathetic to their work. And, you know, it may or may not have been that, that style specifically, or the themes they were addressing were the most art historically significant or whatever it, it might be. Um, but that, you know, it, it resonated with a certain, uh, group of folks who, who were early supporters. And I think that X copy, it sounds like was a bit of both of that, right? So we had, um, he had that community support. He did have that kind of approach where um, it spoke to that that early ethos of of crypto and 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 um, by extension NFTs. Um, so it does have a little bit of that. And I think it's interesting to compare that with um, the the much more I guess like deliberate because in, in a sense like. Death Beef and, and the more generative kind of on-chain work is, is extremely thought through. It's abstract. It's very wrought in the sense that, you know, X-Copy looks kind of flippant, right? It, it looks very slapdash. Um, and of course, it, it doesn't require that same level of technical mastery. Um, but that's, you know, in, in its way, it's, it's more faithful to that moment in time in, in 2017, 2018. So I think... Um, Thinking back on the discussion we've had about about whether you know it, it is the kind of like stylistic uh, factors or is it kind of like the sociological um, background? I think it's it's I think X Copy does capture a lot of a, a combination of all all of those things in, in a very neat way that you know makes makes his work recognizably um, important to that particular moment in in crypto NFT art history. Basically, the story of X Copy doesn't start uh in crypto i think the story of x copy starts on tumblr right because i think you know that tumblr mm. you know late you know two, 2000s early sort of 2010s where, where sort of the tumblr uh sort of animated uh gif uh sort of glitchy um sort of art community first formed um of, of which x copy was a member i think that's you know, I, I wish someone would do like an in-depth study about those, right? Because I, because I, you know, from my understanding, he was one of the most popular, but I, I wouldn't say he was like, uh, like super standout, like way above the rest, which he is now, right? He is kind of, you know, known as the sort of GIF artist, the glitch artist, the sort of NFT artist. Um, and I think it's, you know, really interesting to see sort of how that came about because, you know, we just talked about Beeple, but Beeple was that, right? Amongst sort of all the, you know, artists in Beeple's category, he was, you know, even before crypto, seen as sort of the, the godfather as such. But I don't think XCopy was was kind of seen as that amongst those kind of uh, GIF artists. And what's what's really interesting is that, you know, how he kind of elevated himself above sort of everyone else. And, and I think it's it's, Due to the way he kind of he, he basically um, essentially managed his his persona, managed his subject matter, managed you know how he appealed, uh, especially to NFT collectors, sort of in the early days, and built his following um, with his subject matter. Because I think we've we've talked to a few artists who were part of that kind of sort of Tumblr GIF art cabal in those early days, um, and who are sort of you know 
you know, relatively popular artists today, but certainly not at the level of, of sort of X copy. And you can sort of definitely see it in terms of the, the the subject matter which they chose versus what you know what what X copy chose. And it's just it just resonated much more with the the the, the NFT collector crowd, um, you know, than than sort of other uh, uh, I guess subject matters. Um, and and <laughs> it's just very fascinating for me to to kind of see how essentially a legend is, is built sort of because he, he definitely did not come in with like any kind of hype. I mean, back in 2018, there, there was no hype for any artist um, in crypto and, you know, how he kind of built his career sort of brick by brick, GIF by GIF, so to speak. Um, I mean, that's just super impressive to me and, uh, and fascinating to me. And I know, I mean, Kizu, maybe you can speak about that, like that sort of that, that traditional art, scene is actually sort of looking at x copy and sort of evaluating his career from that sort of art historical you know lenses so it seems like he's he's you know he's uh, there's definitely people pushing for that kind of crossover yeah i think i think the tumblr um lineage so to speak um is something that the traditional contemporary art folks are, are gonna be you know they're, they're it's something that they can get on board with much more readily because even though you know they they might not be familiar with that lineage, but if there's a historical, you know, kind of like development in that sense, uh, that kind of dovetails with with the development of internet culture and, and memes and things like that, I think that's something that you know the, it, it makes it much more palatable. I think, even though the aesthetic itself might might not be something that you know they they kind of necessarily empathize with. Um, so I think I think it's key to it's all about the context the uh it's all about the contextualization I, I feel like if there's a narrative that um does lend itself to to validating x copy within that that kind of 2010s uh, aesthetic then you know all the better but but something like people i think they would have much more trouble with because as you said it, it seems i mean let, let's put aside the the kind of like fortuitous collector choice thing. Um, but I think there's there's really much less to get into in the sense that they're just going to say, well, it's just 5,000 images uh, just collaged together, right? There's there's nothing there that really speaks to the zeitgeist. There's nothing that speaks to um, the, I mean, people say, okay, there's there's this like kind of satire and stuff in, in, the, in the images, like big deal. That's not something that's new. That's, that's not, something that speaks to our decade like the 2020s not nothing there right that that that's kind of like specific to that so i think i think that is kind of valid in the sense that if, if that's the kind of metric we want to go by then you know x copy you can kind of contextualize it in that sense um definitely if yes and then kath arguably a bit less because i think also her approach even though it's it's you know it has the gan thing and machine learning and, and, you know, those things are quite contemporary, but I think that on a visual level, those things aren't legible necessarily. And you just kind of assess it based on the fact that, ah, okay, it's this very kind of like high resolution um, landscape collaged um, composite imagery, right? And and so that that's something that, you know, might be a bit more, um, it's going to get a, a f- couple of, you know, less points i think from the contemporary art um typical mode of of assessing uh the the worth and the value of of an uh an artist or a work of art i think the um the tumblr reference was interesting just to show you how little interest there was in nfts um in addition to x copy i think you know sarah zucker kind of comes from that giphy tumblr background john carroll maybe is another one in sarah's case there were you know millions and millions of people um saw her gifts uh, probably similar numbers for x copy but with both of them when they came into the scene i think sarah's work sat on super rare i mean there were a few sales but a lot of it was there for six or nine months i finally made like a pretty big sale and bought a bunch of it early on um but was kind of mind blown for both, you know, X copy, Sarah, and then John Carroll, I think, picked up pretty quickly that these are folks that had, you know, millions of views of their work. But the idea that someone would collect it as an NFT, even for someone with a following like that, was so foreign and strange um, for, for such a long time. I think that's 
that's a pretty interesting um, aspect of sort of the, the history of it, how long it took. There's sort of like, you can be sort of a star as an artist in one arena, but it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have success um, in the NFT space, which is interesting. And then, yeah, I also think it's interesting to, to try to project out will the influence of a small number of people in sort of the contemporary art world continue to dominate what makes history and what has sort of value uh, moving forward? Or will NFTs actually um, meaningfully chip away uh, at that um, in any way? Um, I, I think that's something to watch that I'm sort of interested in as well. Um, so yeah, I really just other than that, really enjoyed the conversation uh, with you guys. I don't often get to talk actually about the art. Um, so it was fun to talk about the, the art side of it a little bit, but that's not to say that the market um, and, and other aspects aren't also equally fascinating um, and worth talking about too. So just really enjoyed the conversation. I mean, Jason, you just, you just kind of hit on why we did this podcast. Cause we found that, you know, not many people actually talk about the art in <laughs> with respect to the NFT. So this is why we kind of doing the podcast. So it's, it's, it's kind of been a pleasure to, to have you on and, and kind of talk shop with us uh, for the hour. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of floor is rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising. <laughs>